everybody? How we doing? Good, 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 good. Well, his name was John, and he came to my house on a Saturday morning. I was so excited because his group had been out in our community of all 204 people strong. Massive community, tons of staff stoplights, let me tell you. But uh, his group had been out in our community for a week or so, and I was so excited for the time that they might come to my house. And sure enough, the knock came at the door, and when it came, Mandy said, now, play nice. <laughs> and I opened the door, and I said, hi. And he said, hey, my name's John, and I would like to talk to you about Jesus. And I said, awesome, please come in. And there was this look of panic in his eyes. <laughs> And so we sat down, and he began to unfold uh, the literature that was in his brochure and said all kinds of new things to me, things like uh, Jesus was a spirit creature and so on and so forth. And so we talked about this for quite some time, and, and I let him go as long as he wanted. And I said, all right, before we go any further, I think trust is important, and I need to tell you something. I am a pastor, and I would love to keep talking to you about this. But I want to acknowledge that I'm going to come at things from a, a certain perspective, and I want to hear your perspective, and I'd also like to share mine. And he said, okay. <laughs> How about this? I'm going to bring some friends back with me next week. And I said, great. The more, the merrier. Come on. And so sure enough, the next week, he and his friends showed up. And let me tell you something, friends. Compared to most churchgoers who gather on a Sunday morning, they were far better versed. They knew what they believed. They knew why they believed it. They had all sorts of uh, uh, documents to back it up. They opened up a version of uh, biblical texts and so on and so forth. And they told me about Hebrew and Greek and so on and so forth. And I listened intently for about 30 minutes. And then they stopped. And I got out my New Testament interlinear Bible that has Greek right underneath. And I said, well, that's very interesting because I know Greek and Hebrew too. And let me offer you the full gospel. Because I think you're 90% of the way there. But let me give you the 10% that you're missing that will radically transform your life. And the good news of Jesus is this. He's not just fully divine. He's also fully human. And because he's fully human, he brings you into the divine life. He makes you an adopted son or daughter of God. And he gives you the assurance that you are forgiven of your sins and headed for eternal life for, with him. Does that not sound amazing? And for the next 20 minutes, I mean, I laid the whole thing out there. And that was the last time I saw John's friends. <laughs> but John wanted to meet again. And so sure enough, we did. The next week at McDonald's, neutral site, of course... We sat down and we began to talk and he said he had never heard things like this before and he had wondered why. And so I let him go on for about 10 or 15 minutes and wanted to listen intently to his questions and responded to a few of them. And at the end I said this, I said, John, what if, what if the very thing that you believe was lifted up at the Council of Nicaea 1700 years ago? And you've got 90%, uh, you're 90% of the way there, but the other 10% would radically transform your life. And to make sure that in the generations that followed 1,700 years ago, they developed a creed 
The word creed literally means I believe. And, and this statement of belief would guide you not only in this life, but in the life to come. What do you think? And so we talked about it for a bit. And then he was very sad. Because he said, I can't make the leap. My family will disown me. And I got to tell you, it broke my heart. of the way there but the extra 10% sometimes is so hard and I suspect some of you are thinking one of three things this morning one it's sad that he didn't accept the truth two why would his family disown him or three come on Brian everybody has their own set of beliefs just let him be am I close and that's part of the issue You see, I think there's this tension in our faith between soft hearts and firm convictions. And we've got to have both. And really, it fulfills two of the key pieces of Jesus' words to us. Soft hearts and loving God and in loving neighbor. This is the great commandment, yes? And also firm convictions that say the great commission propels us to go into all the world and tell the truth of who Jesus is. Soft hearts and firm convictions. And this is what Jesus lived all throughout his ministry. And because of it, nobody would exactly claim him. The religious leaders despised him. The Romans hated him. The crowds loved him, but really only for his miracles. The disciples, with the exception of John, abandoned him on at Good Friday at the cross. And Judas, of course, we know, well, he betrayed him. Soft hearts and firm convictions. And we see it in the different interactions Jesus has with people. An oft-quoted passage in scripture is the one where the woman in adultery is dragged in. And the religious leaders are ready to stone him. And I've always wondered the question, where was the dude? Are you with me? And so sure enough, that line comes forward where he says, hey, let the one who is without sin be the first to cast a stone. And we go, yay, Jesus, soft hearts. But sometimes we forget what comes at the end of the passage when he says to the woman, go now and leave your life of sin. Soft hearts and firm convictions, yes? Or the story of the rich young ruler who comes before Jesus and asks the question, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, what are the commandments? And he says, well, all these I've kept since I was a boy. He had firm convictions, yes? And yet at the end of the passage, when Jesus says, one thing you lack, sell everything you have and give it to the poor, then come follow me. He went away because he was hard-hearted. He lacked a soft heart. And so all throughout his ministry, we see this this beautiful, wonderful tension of soft hearts and firm convictions. And that's how Jesus interacted with people. He He had a soft heart. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I weep for you. And yet firm convictions. We sent you prophets and you've killed them. Well, this passage we're going to read, this letter, I should say, from 2 John is all about soft hearts and firm convictions. I'd love to share it with you here this morning from 2 John. The elder to the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us. 
from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. And I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard it from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. Two goals of the passage, soft hearts, walk in the commands, and firm convictions, as we're going to find out next week. Watch out for the deceivers that would pull you away from right belief. Uh, we use the word orthodoxy to talk about right belief. Soft hearts and firm convictions. And it's written to this elect lady. And I imagine maybe the question we have is, who is the elect lady? I don't know that gal. Well, the elect lady's you. It's us, the church. We are the elect lady. And that word elect is a beautiful word because in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and on the sixth day he created people in his image. In the very image of God were each created. We were elect from the beginning. And Genesis 2 tells the same story but in a beautiful way of its own. The, the scriptures say that God formed people from the very dust of the earth. You see the very fingerprints are on you. And what is the image of God? It is an image of love. The ability to be in relationship with the creator of the universe and with the same love with which God loves us, we're able to love our neighbor and you say, what about those people? Yes, them too. And God kept electing us from Adam to Noah to Abram to Moses to David and all the way through Jesus, the father sends the only begotten son to die upon a tree for each one of us so that by faith we might be elect in him. And the image he uses of the church in the New Testament, God uses for each one of us, is the bride. A beautifully adorned bride dressed and prepared for her husband is the end of time, yes? And the new Jerusalem which comes down from out of heaven to celebrate the marriage feast between the bride and the bridegroom we the church are the elect lady this letter is addressed to us and God's soft heart kept electing us and the firm convictions that God has had kept pursuing us those kids they're knuckleheads but I love them and in the divine wisdom of God God always had a plan to have a family and the church is that family Soft hearts and firm convictions. And so look at what John says. He says, the elder to the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth, but also who know the truth. And that word truth is a really, really important word. The truth shall set you free, yes? And the idea of truth in the ancient world was like a peeling back of the layers to reveal the hidden state of things. It was like peeling back every thing that could uncover the truth to let people know reality as it truly exists. I think about that in my own experience of car trips. Been on a few yourself? See, when I was a kid, I asked a lot of questions. And we took a two-hour car ride to Detroit, Michigan a lot. So what my parents did was bought me these fantastic books 
And if you look, I imagine, into the light, you can see the hidden images that are behind it, but they give you this wonderful 99-cent marker that invariably is going to run out before you get to the last page, but nonetheless, it's an amazing experience coloring it in and finding the hidden pictures. And God's truth is kind of like that. It paints for us a picture of reality as it is. It paints things the way that God created them and the way God has destined them to be, the truth. The truth is what sets us free. And the truth is the soft heart of God and the firm convictions of God. To see and understand and know reality as it is. To take away things that are false and reveal the true state of things. And look at what truth brings us, friends. Those who know the truth and because of the truth that abides in us will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us. Let me ask you a question this morning. How many of you could use a bit more grace, mercy, and peace in your life? I mean, I'm in. Where do I sign? Because grace is favor that you don't deserve, right? And mercy is God giving you what you don't deserve, but because of the abundance of his love, he gives it anyway. And peace is a state that exists between us and God and us and one another, the intended state of things. We need grace, mercy, and peace. And what brings about it is truth. That truth yields grace, mercy, and peace in our lives. That we're the elect lady. That God loves us with a soft heart and invites us into the truth with very firm convictions. Well, that letter keeps on going. He says this. He says, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children, say it with me, walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. Now, there's something that I haven't shared with you yet about this letter that's absolutely critical to its writing. Do you know what's happening when John writes this second letter? A schism. A divide. A church battle. Sound familiar? And here is the context of what it is that's happened. Don't believe me read it for yourself it's out of first john chapter two there was a group of people who tried to come alongside the elect lady and deceive them of the truth and were drawing them away from orthodoxy or right belief pulling them away from right doctrine and so John, when he, or when he notices the elect lady and notices the children of God walking in the truth, the word says that he rejoices, he gives thanks to God. Yes, this is the way that it's supposed to be. And this whole idea of walking in the truth, it's an echo. In fact, if we were to turn our Bibles back to the first 11 chapters or 12 chapters of the book of Genesis, what we would realize is there are these people who walk with God, who walk in the truth, who walk with a soft heart open to the things of God, from Adam to Noah, and then eventually Abram. And Abram was a stinker. That's why I think I like him so much. I mean, Abram, we give him a, a credit for being a man of great faith, but he was also a man of great doubt. After all, he handed his wife over to Pharaoh. That's pretty messed up. And along the way, when a son did not come along for him, he 
conceived one with another person, and this turns out to be Ishmael, and that creates its own set of issues. So Abram, Abram wasn't always a man of great faith, and yet there's this invitation that God gives him in Genesis chapter 17, a, a, a walking in truth moment that Abram has in his life. And God says, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. Walk with me and be blameless. And walking in truth is like that for us. It's at the heart of the Christian life. You know, I've had some folks lately say, Brian, we've got a lot going on. Just what do you mean by this whole phrase, St. Luke loves well? And I've heard the question enough that I think we need to spell out what it means that we love well. It's what John's talking about here in 2 John, about walking in the truth about having a soft heart for people and firm convictions about what we believe. That's how we love well. That the moment somebody arrives on our campus, no matter who they are or from what age, stage, or walk of life that they're from, we love them well because the love of God that has been shed abroad in our hearts, that's the love with which we're able to love other people. People maybe we might even disagree with. And yet also we never lose sight of who we are because we have firm convictions about what it is that we believe and who it is that we believe and the trust that that belief, that's what propels us forward. Love and truth, soft hearts and firm convictions. And what tends to happen is we run towards one of two polar extremes. We end up with soft hearts but no convictions and friends, this leads to hedonism. It's the stuff where you chase the next thing that's exciting or will make you feel good. And here's what happens. If you chase that kind of heart, I guarantee you in life, you'll never find grace, mercy, or peace. Because you'll never be satisfied. There is only one love that can fill your heart. And that is the love of God. And so you end up with FOMO. Do you know what FOMO is? Fear of missing out? Because you're constantly chasing the next thing. Oh, I've got to have it. My heart wants it. And what the heart wants, it can't be wrong, can it? Or, conversely, you end up with convictions that are so firm and heart that is so hard, you end up in the same camp as the Pharisees. And then you never know where you stand with God. Because it's all works. How righteous am I? Am I living it enough? Does God accept me? Does God love me where I'm at today? And now you don't have fear of missing out. You have fear of not measuring up. See, the gospel calls us to both, to soft hearts and firm convictions, which bring us the very thing John's talking about, grace and mercy and peace. John Wesley, this guy who started a Methodist movement, I think that was at the heart of the movement. In fact, he says in his sermon, the almost Christian, that there were two kinds of Christians, almost and altogether. The almost Christian lived an outwardly Christian life in every single way. But an altogether Christian adds this love for God and neighbor and a genuine faith, a genuine trust and confidence in God's love for them. Not because they were good, but because Jesus is good. Notice what he says uh, in the sermon. He says, the right and true Christian faith is, to go on in the words of our own church, not only to believe that Holy Scriptures, 
the Holy Scripture and the articles of our faith are true, but also to have a sure trust and confidence to be saved from everlasting damnation by Christ. Here's what's fascinating to me. John Wesley, with a soft heart and firm convictions, preached this sermon. And a year later, he was banned from the pulpit at his daddy's church. And so you know what he did? He went outside and preached from his father's tombstone with a soft heart and with firm convictions and an invitation that brought everybody from every walk of life, rich or poor, people who have it together and people who don't have a clue. And they came for miles because the truth, the truth reveals the hidden state of things. It brings to light that which was concealed from our eyes and our minds and our hearts. And the Methodist movement, oh man, did it get going. Which brings me back to John. You know, what kept John from more of Jesus and walking in the truth, walking with a soft heart and firm convictions was fear. And I think sometimes maybe that's the case for us. What will I miss out on? Will I measure up? Fear of what he'd lose. His convictions were firm, but his heart was hard too. And yet for every John, there's also a Nate. I met Nate. And I'll never forget, he said, all right, I'd like to talk to you. I got a lot of questions and I want some answers. And I thought, oh, okay, well, let's do this. So we picked a neutral site. At that point, I'd grown beyond McDonald's. I've grown to the savviness of Starbucks, I guess. You know, there's nothing like $6 coffee. Let's go. And so we sat down, and boy, he began to spew forth all of the reasons that the church was bad, and it was all a bunch of baloney. And he said, here's the thing. Church people, they suck. And I said, I agree. Sometimes they do. I'm one of them. I'm with you. And so for the next nine months, I watched Nate's heart begin to soften to the gospel. And I watched his convictions begin to strengthen about what he believes until he finally said, I'm in. This truth that you've shared is unlike anything I've heard. And that's the gospel that will change my heart. You know, I seem to remember Jesus saying, don't hide your light under a basket. And church, I wonder sometimes if, if we've either had such soft hearts that our convictions have melted away, or we've had such hard convictions that our hearts have been hardened to the fact that we were once broken too. What this gospel invites us to is to have both a heart that is soft for God and soft for other people and convictions that are firm enough to carry us through all of life. St. Luke, we have always loved well people from every age, stage, and walk of life. And friends, that's part of our culture. That need not change. Will our convictions be strong enough to lead us on to where God would lead us in the future. Truth and love, friends, they are not mutually exclusive. 
no matter what our culture says. Jesus is proof of it. John Wesley lived it. And I believe we will too. Let's pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks for this gospel truth of soft hearts and firm convictions. A love of yours that reached down from heaven, became incarnate, died upon a cross, rose again from the dead to extend to us grace and mercy and peace. And Jesus, you invite us as your children to come and be changed, to be forgiven of our sin, to be saved not just from something, but for something. And so, Lord, today, we renew our faith and our commitment to you. Be Lord and be leader in our lives. We thank you for your grace, for your mercy, and for your peace. And may you make it be ours today as we come to this table with hearts that are soft to receive all that you have for us and convictions which are firm to lead us to this place of grace.